Professors FM. Hey, welcome everyone. <laughs> welcome to the Fandom Analytics, the Fanalytics with Mike Lewis podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, it's been a while. I'm glad to see you again and to talk to you. Mike, I got sick for one week and it I went from being the Fanalytics. <laughs> yeah, I went from being the Fanalytics podcast with Mike and Doug to the Fanalytics podcast with Mike and anyone but Doug. I was a little concerned that you enjoyed the first episode without me so much. You were like, I'm going to book guests for the next like month and just bask in this. <laughs> so I appreciate you letting me uh, come behind the microphone again. It's been fun editing your podcast for the last <laughs> five weeks or so. <laughs> well, I'm especially glad to have you back for today. And so full disclosure, we're going to we're taping this one a little bit ahead. It's January 3rd. Um, but we're going to release it on January 10th because Doug, what's going to happen on January 10th? Well, on January 9th, there's going to be a national championship football game. Okay. So I was off one day when we were releasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Last year it was January 10th. I know my dates. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> yeah, yeah, January 9th. January 9th. So a national championship game. And, and so what I want to do today, because look, you know, the, the core of this program, this endeavor, is about understanding fandom. And so you provide us, you personally provide us with a, a, a good opportunity to talk to someone in the midst of something special happening with a with a fandom, with an organization, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so the the Georgia Bulldogs, do you know the line on the game? I'm guessing Georgia's a two-touchdown favorite. Yeah, I think it's 13 right now. 13? Okay. You know, 13 so, and a half. So you're living through something that, you know, most fans don't get to live through, right? Of something where your team becomes, you know, is on the verge of something. You know, it, it, I mean, you might be at the beginning of, you know, like being a New England Patriot fan around the year 2000 <laughs> or a, you know, a, a Golden State Warrior fan, you know, about 10 years ago. So th I think this is a this is a special thing. And, you know, essentially what I want to have a conversation with you about. Are you up for that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad we're having the conversation. There was a, a few moments this weekend where I thought we might be having a different conversation and talking about the heck of a game Ohio State played and CJ Stroud legitimizing himself in my mind as a you know potentially QB one in the draft. But uh, I'm I'm just happy to be having this conversation as a fan. Yeah, it was an interesting game in college, an interesting weekend in college football. It almost looked like the memo went out to the referees to say, let's not have any defense this week, right? <laughs> well, yeah, there there wasn't a lot of defense. But I will say of the college football playoffs, it seems like every year there's at least one of those games is just a massive blowout total, you know, just total boredom for the casual, you know, non-fan of either team. Um, both those games were quite entertaining for anyone. Uh, this week and you know like I said I feel fortunate that my team was on the winning side I've I've been on the losing side of those kinds of games and it's no fun so okay okay so Doug I want to go I want to go all the way back I want to go all the way back when did you first become a Georgia Bulldog fan because you were living in you were living in Alabama growing up right and right you've got a I don't know that we've ever talked but you've got a family history of SEC a family history that's embedded in SEC football Right. I mean, so 
you know, connections to Tennessee and Alabama in particular, yeah. right? So it's like, how did you, you know, cross that state line to have the, you know, the, the fondness that you have for the, the Georgia Bulldogs? So we'll start with this. You're asking, when did my fandom begin? I think it depends on when you believe life begins. Uh, if okay. your life begins at conception person, then right there, um, maybe that first breath <laughs> into the world, uh, somewhere in that range is probably when my fandom, <laughs> yeah. it was in my blood. My mom is, I always tell people she's a bigger football fan, bigger Georgia football fan than I am, a uh, bigger sports fan than I am. Um, and, and she raised us right is what I always tell people, but you know, there's every little picture of me. I'm in my little Georgia stuff. I'm that baby. I'm that child um in the jersey so, was so. It your mom so your mom was the the influence she was putting you in the red and black she was yeah and you referenced earlier my family uh so i grew up in alabama my cousin billy so i say my cousin my dad's cousin so cousin first removed billy uh bill battle he played for bear bryant at alabama he was a head coach at tennessee um and then he he had some successful business endeavors and then he became athletic director at alabama so we used to tell people he's nick saban's boss <laughs> um but uh but yeah so there there always was bama ties i had a cousin play at alabama when i was a kid and we liked alabama we uh we were family friends with the croyles so brody uh was quarterback and i remember going to the alabama georgia game and just hoping georgia didn't break them in half uh because he was a friend of the family and you know we, i mean of course we were kids but it's like I, I don't know that he babysat us but he would hang out with us you know <laughs> and so it's like we liked brody and we liked we didn't hate alabama um we didn't hate alabama until they broke our hearts you know and i think that's how it is with fandom sometimes it's the same with auburn where it's like i don't hate auburn and then like oh they beat us in the game they shouldn't have beat us in and then they rubbed it in our faces yeah we hate Auburn <laughs> and so uh same with Alabama and so but anyway uh growing up yeah I had ties to those schools but I mean Georgia was always you know we were traveling for the games uh probably go to one or two games a year and you know my mom's um hooting and hollering watching the games on TV and it was kind of something the family all did together and something that brought us together and so uh, from a very young age, you know, like I, I kind of joked about before, that was just in my blood. Now that, I mean, that totally makes sense. And I think, you know, from, I'm not from Atlanta, but, you know, since moving to Atlanta, Georgia has a lot of familial transmission of fandom. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's something really, it's not unique to that fan base, but it is very strong in that fan base that Georgia parents seem to raise Georgia fans. And, and frankly, that's not something that happens at the University of Illinois, right? So it, it's 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 something special to that fan base. Like I said, not unique, but definitely special. So let me, you know, a, as you age, you know, and, and I think back to that early time, you're, you're 25, 26 at this point, dude? Yeah, 26. Going on 27. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, sorry. Forget the, you know, the the dude is such a professor crutch when you don't know a student's name. It's dude, just yeah, I feel like we've worked together long enough. I'm not a dude yeah. anymore, but I'll, you know. But what, you know, but at that time, you know, as you're growing up, Georgia's not, they're not the power that they were, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't mean this in a bad way. You know, Georgia's probably 
strikes me is when you're growing up a nine and three kind of team, a 10 and two kind of team an eight and five kind of team playing in, you know, the Outback Bowl kind of stuff, the Citrus Bowl. And, and so during that time era, that time period, you know, what are your sort of your foundational memories of the Georgia Bulldogs, the players, the plays, the, the victories, the defeats? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, important to remember it, it always feels like as a georgia fan and you know, to, to georgia fans it always feels like georgia's got this storied program with all this history of championships and successful football just because it's always felt like they should be good um georgia had won one national championship in its entire history prior to last year yeah and um, 20 years before you were born right right At least and so uh, well, well, not not 20 years when I was born, but close to 20 years. I'm not that young, Mike. Um, okay. Mike just like puts me in Gen Z and just assumes I'm like on the younger end of it. I don't know, but anyway, that's how I can use, that's how I can use you, right? For the I'm Gen not, Z, research. I'm not 15 years old. <laughs> you're 15 when I need you to be 15. You're 27 when I need you. Know. Yeah. Um. And, and so, anyway, those were successful. I mean, winning an SEC championship. Let me say this. You know, I was born in 1967. Yeah. The sporting events that happened in 1952 were ancient history to me. Right, growing up. right, right. Yeah. You know, it's like, and at least in you know, my era, they were in black and white. So it didn't even <laughs> seem, it didn't even seem like part of the modern era. But, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you know, 15 years before you're born, that's a long time. No, it absolutely is. And I, I think that, um, I think that it felt, you know, like we were winning SEC championships every five years or so and Georgia and then they would go lose their bowl game. There was always like a inexplicable loss during the season mm -hmm. that made it so they couldn't play in a national championship. And then in probably a, a postseason inexplicable loss as well. Um, some of the times there's particular games I remember, but in some of them that, that we went to, um, but yeah, there was always this, you know, this pride in this, but also growing up in Alabama, and seeing Auburn and Alabama win championships in the years that uh, that you know I was a kid, um, and Alabama winning quite a few, and feeling like we've got all the resources they have. Why aren't we? You know, why aren't we doing this? And so, um, and I say we like I'm on the team, but you know that's part of fandom. Um, has it always been? Has it always been we? Or is that? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say like if you did a like a, a fandom journey with me when I was a kid, I was less. Like I would say my my brother and my parents were a little more into it than me because I was like, I was kind of a little cynic. I was like, they're gonna let you down. They do it every year. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you guys are getting all worked up. Like, they're gonna let you down. You gotta just enjoy it for what it's worth, but you can't get all worked up about it. They're gonna let you down. Um, and then eventually I was the one <laughs> getting worked up. And then when I got closer to age where I was like looking at colleges and stuff and or starting to think about, you know, I'm gonna be a college student in a couple of years. Um and they were just my team. And so I, I started taking ownership of Georgia in that way. And it really started hurting when they would lose. Um, and, and so okay. let me uh, follow yeah, up on ahead. that. You're a high school kid. How frequently are you wearing Georgia Bulldogs jerseys and T-shirts? And are you wearing any other T-shirts? Are you, you is, there, is there an Alabama shirt in the rotation? No, I, I didn't. I definitely wouldn't wear. If I wore anything, it'd be like Belmont or like another school I was looking at that was like, off the radar, you know, competition wise for Georgia, um, Auburn, Alabama, or I, I would definitely want to wear those. I think when I was a kid, there's like one picture of me in an Auburn sweatshirt that like my mom put me in because it was cold outside and it was just all we had. 
Um, which is bad parenting, by the way, bad parenting. Cause it's, you know, that's an incriminating photo for me now, um, as someone that, you know, <laughs> tried to build a following with the Georgia fan base, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that in high school I started taking real ownership and they lost some really painful games in that time. That was like, that's why, you know, at the beginning of the podcast I was talking about, yeah, what, what, what are the years of high school? Just to clarify. Oh man, I uh, graduated 2014. So 2010, okay. 2014. So 2012 in there was a really painful, like probably the most painful loss to Alabama. It was very similar to the situation with Ohio State this week. Just roles are reversed. And so that's why I think a lot of Georgia fans have a little more empathy than a lot of fan bases where they're not like, ah, oh, like, you know, you suck. Like, you're, you know, our team's so much better than yours. It's like, yeah, we, we definitely could have lost that game and that could have gone either way. And uh, we, we've been on the losing side of that so many times that it's, you know, be remiss not to, to make uh, mention of that. So... You know when, and here's my, you know, my perception. You tell me if I'm, I'm tell, you tell me if I'm wrong because I'm not yeah. living and following as close as you. To me, the Florida Gators kind of ran the SEC East um, in the first, the first decade of mm-hmm. the 2000s. I don't recall. Was there sort of a transition point, you know, or was that Urban you know, Meyer? That, yeah, but was there that high school when Urban Meyer left? Was in that that high school point where? it started to get a little murky in the SEC East. Yeah, and I would say, like, even when Urban Meyer was there, there were a lot of years Georgia was favored to win the division, particularly look at a team with Matthew Stafford, no Sean Marino, A.J. Green. I mean, everyone in the country was thinking that team was, you know, at the very minimum, an SEC championship caliber team. Um, and so to have your best team, you know, in the Rick era, and I say your best team in the Rick era, I don't think that's the best team in the Rick era, but at that point, probably the best team in the Rick era and have to go through Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin and Aaron Hernandez and, uh, Urban Myers, Florida team and, and not even make an SEC championship with that. And so Georgia definitely, they had a reputation of being underachievers, of having all this talent, of probably having the most talent of any school in the NFL and watching all these guys succeed in the NFL more so than the Florida guys or the Alabama guys or the LSU guys and, uh, you know, weren't winning champion, not even making an SEC championship in Matthew Stafford's entire career. And I don't think that's a knock on the coaching or, or the players. I think that, you know, Florida was, they were something in that era. I mean, they were a, a legitimate all-time great team. And, you know, it's like looking back on, uh, you know, teams that were like Charles Barkley never winning an NBA finals. You can't really knock him. It's like he had to go through Jordan and the Bulls. Like he, you know, it was like it was a great competition. And, um, you know, I don't know that Kirby, I think Kirby's really fortunate now to have taken over Georgia at a time where the East was kind of up for grabs uh, because that certainly wasn't the case back in the Rick era. And I think some of these Georgia teams had, they had to face the same competition and the same circumstances may not, you know, be having the success that they are having now. Yeah. You know, some, you bring up some interesting points in there, sort of almost like little asides in terms of, you know, stuff happening in the background as your yeah. fandom is journey is occurring. You know, the, look, I'll, I'll tell you, I always thought Tebow was, you know, hot take. Tebow was an amazing college player. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of SEC fan bases do not want to admit that, like you know, he had that awkward throwing motion. But Tim Tebow at the collegiate level was a unique 
a unique situation, I think. Um, the other thing related to what you're, you're talking about is you almost sound a little bit like a Cubs fan. And that I can like hear it in your voice that, you know, we'll get them next year kind of stuff that this was, uh, we're always going to come up short. Um, now the difference between, you know, being a Georgia fan and a Cubs fan, and I think it's important to, I think it's important to note is that, and you alluded to it that, you know, Georgia has all the resources in the world, yeah. right? Georgia has a massive stadium. Georgia owns a state. Georgia owns probably one of the top five states for high school football recruiting, right? Mm-hmm. And so Georgia has always been, I remember when I was doing these fandom rankings and we were looking at the college football bases, college football fan bases, it really struck me that the economics were so in favor of Georgia to become a monster, monster program. Yeah, and I think that's why there's this perception and has been throughout my life, like amongst the fan base that like 10 wins isn't enough. Like, you know, 10 wins would be coming off of a, a previous coach who was winning seven games a year or something. And 10 wins is a, you know, is a huge step. It's it a lot like Tennessee this year where it's like they turned a corner, they beat, they started beating good competition. They won a big bowl game. Like that's exciting for a program, but it wasn't, it was never enough at Georgia. It was as if Georgia had Alabama's history of winning championships, of having dynasties. And uh, Georgia just hasn't had that. And, and, you know, maybe that's what we're experiencing now for the first time. Uh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll find we'll, out. We'll guess this is what I, you know, this is where I want to start to, you know, do a little psycho, you know, analysis. Sure, sure. Um, Fanalytics. So you, so you go to yeah analysis. So you go to Georgia as a college freshman, and at that point, you're uh, I don't know what you're, what are your expectations that the team's going to? Like you said it, it's a ten win team. Now no, ten I, wins, ten wins in the modern era. That's that's good, but it's not you know it's not elite. And the other question on that. So your expectations. Did you join the Spike Squad first thing out the gate? from freshman year onward all right i'll answer the first question um uh, first so i as much as i had my heart broken over the years especially those high school years like there's a series i mean they had at least one game a year that was like catastrophic uh just one you know like unbelievable that they lost the game and i i know you probably remember that auburn game where the hail mary got tipped up and the auburn guy caught it in stride and ran it in and I was watching that game with my girlfriend who was going to Auburn. Um, and just like there were some painful, painful games, that Alabama game in 2012 that I mentioned. Uh, and, and so we had been through a lot and we were like Cubs fans. And this, there was a sense of curse. And I think it was kind of like, I mean, it, I would say it was unspoken, but I mean, people kind of talked about it. Like, you know, we're never going to do it. Like there's always going to be something crazy that happens even when we should do it or, or injuries or whatever. Um, but all that said, when I was a student, like going in, I was kind of a perennial optimist. Like after Ooh. 2012, um, it took us, you know, like a, a little bit to rebuild from like the Aaron Murray, Todd Gurley days. But I followed the team. I followed recruiting and I would look at it and it's like, okay, we've, we're building something and we might, I don't know how people are going to be able to stop Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, Keith Marshall in the same backfield. Um, and looking at defense and the NFL talent they had. So I was, you know, going into school, I was like, it's going to be crazy, but we might win a championship my my freshman year. 
um, in that first game was against Clemson and they beat them and people were starting to talk playoff and all that at that point. But as far as the spike squad's concerned, I, uh, ask you one follow-up question before we get there. Yeah. So, so were you one of these guys that was following recruiting? Yeah. Like, did you know more about the team than what percentage, you know, in, in terms of, let's say the percentiles of Georgia students, no, I was in the top percentile. Top I was one top percentile. one, and I don't say that as like a brag. I mean, it's almost embarrassing to know that much about a bunch of um, a, a bunch of kids playing sports. And I'm not like that now. I there came a point. I guess we'll get there, but there came a point where it's like eh, I just want to pull for the guys on the field. I don't really care about it. I'm not going to follow the drama of a bunch of 16, 17 year olds. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a bad place when you're a fan and you got an opinion about an eighth grader. Well, yeah, right? especially it's, when you're an adult too. I mean, when yeah. it's when I was their age and you know I was picking schools and stuff, and I was like, oh, let's see who all we can get in my class. And it was like I remember the first day of school and seeing Todd. I mean, not Todd, seeing Nick Chubb on campus and then like text my dad and being like, yo, I think he's like like he's he's big. Like that guy is an ox and. Yeah, I can't wait to watch him play. And yeah, it was exciting to be like, these are my classmates and these are, but now as, as an adult and like looking back or looking at the recruiting scene, like I really don't, I don't keep up with it. I mean, and there are a lot of adults that do. I just like, I can't do it, especially in this day and age uh, with all, all the kind of unnecessary drama that goes on. But um, yeah, with the spike squad, I, I, so in high school, my friends and everyone kind of knew that there was a pretty good possibility. I would go to Georgia uh, as far as my friends and family and we would watch the games and they would always pan to that group and we would always kind of laugh and be like those guys are crazy and i would just be like i'm gonna do it i you know <laughs> if i go to school there i'm gonna just do that and that's just gonna be my thing um uh, just to say that i did and so yeah it was like first day on campus i was like messaging uh this guy who was kind of the famous member of there he had like basically nil deals before nil as a fan which is just wild um especially during that era that's that's spectacular right the fans were the only ones making money yeah yeah (laughs) exactly and so um i reached out to him and we got we got tacos downtown and he was getting me plugged (laughs) in and kind of telling me about the process uh for you know for the whole thing and i was i was ready to roll i had everything planned out i knew exactly i had and when i was in high school uh the the girl that i was dating she came over to my house and we did a practice. Is this the Auburn, is this the Auburn girl or did we yeah, get rid of her? Yeah, yeah Auburn, Auburn. Okay. Um, okay. We did a practice run with the, with how I was going to paint my face because she had some makeup and I didn't know how to do all that. Um, and so I took a picture of it. And so when I did my interviews with them and they were like, what are you going to paint as? And I told them, I was like, Oh, I want to do like this. They said, you know, everyone has good ideas, but every year we have someone that comes in and they want to paint like Darth Maul from star Wars. And it never works because it um, it's too complicated and it's it's always a mess and it never works out and always that person always ends up being a dud kind of and I was like okay well what if I already had like what if I could show you that I I could really do it um, and I like whipped out my phone and then the picture that uh, that girl and I had had Doug Doug I hate to do this to you can you put that picture on the web to, oh you man. Know? The, I would love. To, I'll put a. I'll put a picture on the web. I'll put a picture on the web. I might do okay. one of those graphics that we've been doing with like Tom Smith and like Jay Busby, and then this one will just be like my painted up self. Um, I, I, I mean, the other thing I heard in that right is, I mean, obviously you're a big Star Wars fan, so you actually yeah. had combined 
Darth Maul with your love of the well, Georgia Bulls. I think that was part of like, you know, the Spike Squad, at least at the time, it was kind of like about being like a super fan. And, mm. you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that like the, the famous guy was the Georgia Joker. He was a massive Christopher Nolan Batman fan, you know, and, and the Dark Knight fan. And he dressed as the Joker and he made these videos as the joke. Like a lot of those kids were just the type of people who are fans of things, you know, and so they're they don't they go all into whatever it is. So if it's Star Wars, it's Star Wars. And I have friends from that that I still talk to that like anytime there's new Star Wars, that's what we talk about. And those are the people I talk to because it's like I know they're about it. And like for this kid, it was the Dark Knight and Batman and and then for all of us, it was Georgia football. And so it's like, there's a type of person that, you know, I think that like a massive Star Wars fan is more likely to be a massive sports fan, you know, of a team than somebody who's like not really into movies or TV or, you know, someone who's not like a massive fan of anything um, to start out. There's like a type of person. And so it definitely, you would see that on that, that group of people. That, that yeah, can I, can I say something about it? I, yeah. 100% you're correct. There's this underlying trait of engagement. And mm-hmm. people that are engaged with, with some things are engaged with other things. It, it really is almost as simple as some people like to be engaged and some people like to be left alone. And that fan personality means that it's going to... Tra- you know, sports fans love every, you know, they're, they're into things besides sports. It's, you know, it's... You're passionate. You're passionate people, right? And that's what I think... I think that's something that people don't generally get is that it's like you probably start out as a passionate person and then you direct it to certain things. Yeah. I also think that there's like, um, there's like some weird stigmas with fans or at least fans of that level. You know, a lot of those kids, face painters are idiots, right? Yeah, I mean, there's they're, a sign, they're idiots. There's a sign they're, product, you know, they're right? doing drugs. They're drinking. I mean, we, we had a rule and not, we were all completely sober at all the games. We were probably the only people in the student section that were sober. So we had to take pictures with a lot of kids. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, yeah. this was just why it was a rule. We yeah. were taking pictures with children and, and engaging with um, a lot of fans on behalf, you know, kind of representing the university in a weird way. And so it was, you know, that was the expectation. Officially, officially sponsored or? Uh, I think now they are. I don't. I lost track of that. It was kind of this weird, like, not officially, but you know, we had conversations. Um, but yeah, there's there are these stigmas, and it was like, no, we had we had guys on there that were valedictorians at Georgia, and people on there that were, uh, I mean, the the class president for one of the classes and the homecoming king, uh, or I guess he was a candidate for homecoming king. I don't remember if he won, like. A lot of those people, and a lot of them are now professionals, you know, in, in different careers. But it, it's kind of funny as an adult. Like, I have to kind of, um, like, censor who I tell about that, like, era. <laughs> and, because people will put you in a box, you know? You tell them, oh, I was the guy that painted my face. And they're like, oh, he's an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And <laughs> and it's like, no, we. I mean, there were a lot of smart people and um, people that, you know, they just, they wanted to be involved. And, you know, it was me. I didn't know anyone when I went to campus. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be a big part of something, you know, fun and, and went out there and did the thing. And, um, you know, it, it's, it was a lot of fun. I think we had connections with the players and, and with the team that, and looking at, you know, I've been watching these games and looking at the kids that have been on the spike squad the last two years, man, what a run. I mean, we are, we're all kind of, we have a group me and we're all like, man, these, they don't know, like, the, what we went through as far as we we, I, we went to road games in the rain getting like harassed by everybody um of the you know florida or whoever 
after our team got beat by 40 points. Like these guys are, they're getting free tickets to the national championship and to the, you know, to the Peach Bowl and they're on the front row and they're, I mean, they're having a time, but I mean, it's, it's a great experience. You know, in your college, you want to, some people want to have like the fullest experience that you can have when you're at a football school. And I think at Georgia, that's what it was um, for me, at least. You know, the, the somewhat surprising thing to me about all this is there, I'm I'm sort of surprised that there isn't almost an alumni organization associated with the Spike Squad members because I would think that I mean you know if you were to like take your Georgia fandom and and cut it into pieces mm-hmm. you know obviously the team and the team performance is the big one but I gotta think you know the the fact that your your mom and your parents are fans of Georgia like that that's a part of it yeah but I would think that this Spike Squad experience would be a fairly significant part of of the package but it sounds like i mean it doesn't from from what i'm hearing it doesn't sound like the spike squad sort of extends across generations no and it's because it started in like 2010 uh okay. 2011 somewhere in there so it was a fairly new and i think that's why they got so much attention at first people were like who are these guys um but yeah. but you know there were two sides as far as how the fans interacted with and and interact to this day with the spike squad on the one hand you had people after a game i remember first game you know clemson game was a fun game uh, a real big game you know prime time espn and after the game i was with my parents and we're walking back you're walking back is always interesting because you're still painted like an idiot um and everybody else is normal obviously and you're walking back to your dorm and uh walking back and i had multiple people come up to me and like thank me like i had done something you know like hey good game man like thanks for all that you do um, keep it up next game and, and people were being genuine you know they weren't like that wasn't tongue-in-cheek uh and it's like people really appreciated that you were giving it your all for the team like as if that was making any kind of difference um and you know of course fans like it's fun to pretend that we are but we kind of know as well that it's you know it's it doesn't really affect anything um well and, go ahead. let's get away from georgia for a second i mean do you think the you know back in the the day the the black hole guys were part are part of the Los Angeles and sorry the Oakland Raider yes. experience or the you know the the Bills Mafia flying through tables the yeah no the, I mean, the, the Washington I fans you know putting on pig noses and dresses for some reason I mean it's it, <laughs> you know maybe it doesn't matter at the moment but somehow I think it matters in the long term yeah and like that was one side of it and there was this. There and there still is. There's this other side of like people who are kind of embarrassed by it as a fan base that like they don't want to be associated. They don't want the school associated with that, and they like they don't like you if they find out you're involved with that or that you were involved with that. And like there's certain criticisms that I get, like that I hear from time to time. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of interesting. Being it was like people either loved you or they hated you. And you're now like the, part of the same fan base. The people that hate you, those are still football fans. It's not no, an anti Yeah, part no, no, of, exactly. Fans of the same team. Um, they're just like, we don't want, you know, boys in makeup representing our school. You know what I mean? Which you're like, well, I mean, that's kind of fair. But <laughs> yeah, well, you, you guys thought of yourselves as, as, as men in shoulder pads with spikes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well they, they were definitely like especially if there was kind of like a weak link like physically in any way people would say <laughs> you know like oh we don't want a bunch of over we don't want a bunch of obese you know 
you know, like without their shirts on, like on the front row and the freezing cold, like that's just embarrassing. And so it was kind of funny how, I mean, it's still, I think in that Georgia fandom, there's still kind of like a split. And to be fair, that fandom's still split on Stetson Bennett, who was a Heisman candidate this year. So um, it, it's just like anything, you know, it's like a, in politics, you know, the, the conservative party might be split over Donald Trump and, you know, the left might be split over whether Biden's the best candidate moving forward for the next election or whatever. It's like, even when you're on the same team, there's still these kind of inner splits, but things like Saturday, that all goes out the window where, you know, you might hate the spike squad, but if you're on that second row and you're at the peach bowl and, you know, Georgia wins in dramatic fashion, you're hugging that person, you're picking them up, you're, you know, you're taking pictures together. You just became best friends. And so it all goes out the window on game day. Look, I, I get it, right? And and I think our favorite team, at least for the first three quarters of the season, was the Tennessee Volunteers. I thought you were going to say App State. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, that was you know, the first maybe, like half. Yeah, but you know, I can imagine that there are people, at, you know, in that Tennessee fan base, and maybe there's maybe there's not a lot, but you gotta. I mean, I could I could have the two thoughts in my same head, right? And in, in my head at the same time, this contradiction of. God, you guys look like fools, shirtless in your in uh, overalls. And I, I don't even want to hear that song anymore as, as right. we score each time. But I think you take a step back and you got to think about the the whole right and anything that differentiates differentiates a fan base, right? Anything that becomes special, you know. I, I think that's that's kind of the key to building this stuff. Yeah, it's. I think it's part of the identity and the culture of the not the team, like the players, like it's not like it affects them uh, dramatically, but for the fans, you know, for this is part of the experience. Like you go to a Bills game. I mean, if I go to a, if I go up to Buffalo, I'm more there for to watch guys jump through tables than I am to watch Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen might be the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And I think he has a chance to be one of the best of all time. But it's like the experience is the, the fans with the icicle beards and jumping through tables and breaking their legs. <laughs> <laughs> and acting a fool up there. I mean, it's it's fun. And I think that there's like as a, you know, former Spike Squad member, there's an element of just embracing the fact that this is ridiculous, okay? Like I'm a I'm a smart guy, you know. I understand. I'm I'm not a fool. Like I understand this looks silly and this this is okay. it's ridiculous, but just embracing it and being like, "You know what? We're going to embrace the ridiculousness. We're going to be in the middle of this and we're going to have the most fun with it that we can." Doug, you've also spent a lot of time talking to members of the Georgia program, right? To, yeah. to former players. Yeah. Okay. Do you, and, and maybe you've never asked this kind of question directly. Does the Georgia fan base, the passion of that Georgia fan base, affect their decisions to attend Georgia versus Florida versus Auburn, right? And, and I think you see where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, the, the fans do not dictate what, what happens on Saturday. But oddly... I think they can influence what happens on future Saturdays. Well, and and I think even in small ways, there's, I mean, definite evidence of that that I've seen has been, you know, I, I named my podcast the Savage Pats Podcast. And the reason people always say Savage Pats Podcast, people aren't Georgia fans. Um, you have to kind of explain it to them. The Spike Squad started the whole thing at Georgia of wearing shoulder pads in the stadium and, and getting all rowdy. And at some point, you know, when the turnover chain era began, um, the football team, they, I, they reached out to the guy who founded the Spice Squad and they were like, you know, and this is the like equipment department or something. I don't know. I'd have to check with him to, to get details. But someone involved with the athletic department was like, 
we want to create something similar. Um, so they cre- they recreated what we were wearing, and it was like these golden shoulder pads. And anytime a player made a turnover or forced a turnover, they would go to the sideline and they would put them on and they would act crazy just like we do. And and so it became to me, it was kind of I mean, to us, it was awesome. So it was like, wow, we're, you know, they're, they're kind of like acknowledging us. But also it was like to me, it was kind of this connection between the fans and the players where it's like the players were kind of tipping their cap to the fans in that way, uh, to the, you know, the, the front row super fans, if you will. Uh, and, and the fans, of course, were always, you know, wearing shoulder pads in the first place is kind of tipping your hat to the players. And so that became, you know, something that all the recruits when they would come, if it was a defensive recruit, especially because like the goal on any given Saturday is to put those pads on. You want to get a pick. You want to force a fumble, you know, strip sack or whatever. And you put on those pads and you're the man. And so every recruit started taking pictures in them. And, it, you know, it became a recruiting tool for Georgia. So it's like in, in a way you start to see okay, there is this connection between what the fans are doing and the passion that they have and and the players and their enthusiasm for playing for Georgia or maybe coming to Georgia in the first place. So, you know, I'm not I'm not naive. Like, I'm not like, oh, yeah, like Georgia's good because of the, the fans or because of the spike squad or whatever. Uh, but you do see those connections and it, and it is something that makes it feel special when you are a fan. I mean, you're part of the brand and the brand is what largely attracts Mm-hmm. you know future generations players okay so doug as you go through college you know i think you're definitely the program's on the upswing um mm-hmm. and talk about that upswing and you know i, I mean I, you know in particular and not you know the, for me as a not a not a devoted fan you know what was the year uh, it, it strikes me that the the special year and all that might have been the year where you guys went up to notre dame mm-hmm. and you know, so what's the, what's the upward tra- trajectory as you guys go from being a nine and three kind of program to a eleven and one kind of program? Yeah, that's a great question. And f- first thing is that Georgia took a step back. Uh, Kirby's first year, I don't know if they went eight and five or, or seven or eight and four, seven and five, something along those lines. Got blown out by Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, lost to, I don't know if they lost to Georgia Tech or Vanderbilt, but they, I mean, they lost some bad games that year. And there was a lot of question as to whether they had made a mistake. Maybe, maybe 10 and two is not so bad. You know, maybe that is just who we are. And, and that's, um, that's a good season for Georgia. And, and we rolled the dice and now we're taking a step back and people were starting to question things. And so the, the program was, there was a lot of talent, you know. Uh, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb in the backfield and Lorenzo Carter. I mean, they had all these Roquan Smith, um, of course, for the Ravens now uh, on the defense. And so that next season, they went from, you know, Jacob Eason was the quarterback coming in into the season. He was kind of supposed to be the guy that was the savior for the program. He was he was pegged. He was the chosen one. That's what people always said. Um, and he gets hurt to start that next season and I was like here we go again you know the Georgia the Georgia curse curse. yeah it's even when we have all this talent we can't get anything and we got this coach not experienced and he can recruit but you know on the field he's not getting results and yeah that Notre Dame game was the second week of the season they were coming off of you know Easton being hurt so Fromm had never played before really um, and it was on the road and the entire I mean I was there the entire fan base was like you know what we're going to all go up there and we're going to see if we can do something special and 60% of the stadium, maybe, um, maybe more. I don't know. It was, it felt like a home game. 
What was the what point of the season was that? I, I don't. Quite it was recall. the second game. Second game. Okay. Second game of the season. So I mean, we had no expectation of. I mean, there was no reason to believe Georgia was going anywhere at that point. And if they had lost that game, it's just another. All right, here we are. We're one and one. We beat a cupcake. We lost to the one like potentially ranked team on our schedule, and and so. I don't know. It was it was a very pivotal game, like in Georgia football history, in my opinion, because and it could have it was just like Ohio State this week could have gone either way. Um, Georgia wins that game. Lorenzo Carter puts on the savage pads, and that really like brought that into the mainstream as far as like you know it was cool now. And uh, and I think he did an interview with them on or Davin Bellamy, um, who's a friend. He's come on the my my podcast a few times. And uh, we we were like, all right, you know, like we beat Notre Dame that next week. Georgia played Mississippi State at home and Mississippi State was favored by a lot of people. They had just blown out LSU the week before and Georgia crushes them. And that's when people were starting like, OK, now we're now we're you know, we, we might have something special. And of course, uh, Tennessee, the next week, Georgia beat them like 42 to nothing or something after losing the year before on a Hail Mary. Um, and, and that's when it felt like. You know they're starting to look like Alabama. Like this team is. This what team what year was that? 2017. 2017. Yeah, so I was a senior in college, and you know I'd had I'd watched a lot of really disappointing seasons up until that point, and so for us it, we couldn't believe it because we were we were, we had that mindset of like we're cursed, you know, uh, cursed the Bambino kind of thing where it's like unbelievable that they're just winning <laughs> and and winning games that they shouldn't win sometimes um, instead of the opposite, and so. It was, and of course, I mean, the season ended in heartbreaking fashion that year, and it felt, and that's where people were like, "Yeah, it's they're still Georgia, and <laughs> they're still cursed, they're still." Oh, remind me, what was the run up? Because it was, I mean, you guys were number one and undefeated a long time that year. Right? We were undefeated a long time. Um, Auburn, we played on the road. I went to that game. I went to every game that year. It was my senior year. It was my last run, my last hoorah, and um, uh, Auburn absolutely smacked us. It was one of the better. Let me ask you one quick question, sort of go back and then pick up on this story. What was the parking lot like at Notre Dame? Was that like a Georgia tailgate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, there's not really a parking lot. So we were, I think we parked like downtown or something, but, but during, that was a really fun day. Cause first off, Notre Dame fans are incredible. They were the most hospitable fan base in the world. They would show, if you were like, I mean, it was like being with yeah. Mormons or something. It, they were, if you were like, oh, we're looking for the cathedral, they would, they would grab you. They would walk you all the way there. They'd make sure they get you a water or something. Like they, they were so nice. So it was like no hate, no disrespect to them. Um, but yeah, during the day, it was like the sports bars and stuff. I mean, it was literally just Georgia fans. It was really fun because it's like when you're exploring a different city, it's even Chicago the, the week before. There was a Cubs game the night before. And I think they honored Vince Dooley there. And it was the Cubs game was all Georgia fans, Cubs game. And I'm sure the few Cubs fans that were there were like perplexed as to what exactly was going on because the whole crowd during the game was doing Georgia chants. They were doing Georgia Bulldogs and UGA and all that at the Cubs stadium. And so anywhere you went, downtown Chicago, um, it was just Georgia fans taking over and it was a blast. So, I mean, it must have felt like, I mean... What, did this feel different? Like, oh God, we're national, right? We're yeah. It know, felt like we were. It felt like the fan base. It felt like the fan base was like, we're going to 
we're going to will our way to becoming national because we have the pieces and like we've just got to give it everything we've got. So we're flying across the country. I remember being in the barbershop uh, that week and every single person getting their haircut was flying up for the game and realizing like, oh, <laughs> I thought I was special, like going up to this away game. But this is going to be more like a neutral site game and then getting there and realizing, oh, this is like a home game just like on, in a different part of the country. Because at the time, I think it was the furthest the furthest mileage wise uh, away game Georgia had ever played. And so I could be wrong there, but I, I, if it wasn't the furthest, it was like top three. Um, and, and so everyone just made it their vacation for the year. That was the destination game. And yeah, it felt like we're going to will it to happen. And during the game, there were definitely moments where it was like, man, if we can't, you know, if the, if we can't pull this off with all the, that's going into this, there's, there's an issue like with, there's something wrong with this program. Um, and, and yet it felt like a miracle when they won. And so it was just like, but once they won that game, it felt like, okay, now we're national. Now, you know, they started getting respect. I mean, it was a prime, it was on NBC, which we, I don't, in my lifetime, I don't recall ever playing on NBC. Um, and, and then, but again, the next week having a game at home where, and I think historically, and, and in some of those ricked years, and I love Mark Rick, um, but in some of those ricked years, there were there were games where it was like Georgia would win a big game and then they would come back and lose a game they should have won the next week and things like that. And so we all felt like, oh no. Like well, yeah, we gotta just enjoy this while this lasts because we got Mississippi so State next week. When, when, did, when did the bubble pop that year? Auburn at uh well well here's here's the deal. <clears throat> we played at Auburn on the road, and one of the most and I say this as like someone that doesn't like Auburn. One of the most incredible atmospheres in college football I'd ever seen. Uh, and this was the year, I mean, th- they beat Alabama that year, the next game. They had this like voodoo in that stadium. Place was rocking. I was there. It was miserable. <laughs> um, wasn't great weather. Place was rocking. And they just absolutely, Georgia was undefeated. We thought it was our year. And Auburn just absolutely hammered Georgia. I mean, it was not even close. They got up, and once they got up, they were doing touchdowns to rub it in. They played the Soldier Boy, which was famously played at a Georgia-Auburn game where Georgia beat Auburn, and all the players were dancing to it, and all their players were dancing to it now. like They were trolling Georgia after the game. Malzahn, uh, the coach at the time, said that they beat the dog crap out of them, and that was, I remember seeing that clip, and just and everyone was just kind of miffed by it because he was, he was pretty... Uh, you know, there was it was looking pretty likely. It was like, well, if Auburn beats Alabama, we're going to play them in like two weeks in the SEC championship game. And sure enough, that's what happened. And Georgia won that game. Um, and Auburn fans will say, well, hey, you know, Carrion Johnson was injured that game. And he was. And I, I still think that, that that Auburn team was absolutely a playoff caliber team, um, objectively. And I think that it's unfortunate for them that Carrion Johnson was hurt and that, you know, that game really very well could have gone the other way. And sometimes in sports, it feels like fate. I don't know what it is. Um, but things just happen and, and, and work out for a team. And so Georgia really, once they won that game, felt like we're the team of destiny. Rose Bowl, of course, uh, miracle win. You know, I was there. Crazy game. Uh, Spike Squad affiliation is what got me free tickets and ended up on the front row, which was incredible. Um, time of my life in California that week. And uh, it felt like team of destiny going into that national championship. And then the bubble popped after Georgia had the lead for, I think, like, you know, 59 out of 60 minutes of the game tied or had the lead against Alabama and uh, lost in, in double OT, I believe, or OT. 
on uh, that second and 26 pass from Tua Tungavailoa to Devontae Smith. And the fan base was just crushed, feeling like <laughs> this is our year. You know, okay. this is, we're Destiny's team finally. And all of our guys were leaving. Like Nick Chubb, gone. Sony Michelle, gone. Roquan Smith, gone. That was it. Like we had, this is what we had built toward all these years. And, and we're better than Alabama. And there were some calls that didn't go Georgia's way where it felt like, you know, the refs keeping them in this. And, and then next thing you know, like you can beat them the whole game and they beat you on that last play. Again, very similar to this Ohio State Georgia game this last week. Okay. So you said crushed, but, but I want, I want to figure out sort of where you're at at this point, right? I mean, because I mean, look, I can, I can almost imagine there's like mixed emotions, right? It's like we are now a college football playoff team, we right. are painting Notre Dame Stadium red, but we lost, right? And, yeah. and so it's, you know, it, it feels good, it, but was it the amount of good it felt? Did that make the pain even worse? Yeah, yeah it did. Um, you know, and I, I'm not an emotional fan in the sense of like, I remember I was with a buddy and he was, we were sitting next to some Alabama fans and he was like getting into it with them after the game. And I was like holding back. I was like, dude, come on. Um, You know, let them celebrate like they just won (laughs) a crazy game. Um, But, but at the same time, it was like, you know, there there were those mixed emotions of, man, we made it so far and it, it didn't really amount to anything. But at the same time, I still, I still to this day, looking back on that season, Georgia, I think like, there were all these different events to honor the players of that team, like in public um, after losing the national championship is like, they had more not celebrations, but kind of celebrations of what they accomplished that season than Alabama did. And Alabama won the national championship. And I, to this day will say that, you know, I don't know that even with last year, I don't know if I've ever enjoyed a season more than that 2017 season. I don't know that there's a better feeling. And that's what I was saying about Tennessee earlier in the year this year, um, which of course time will tell if, if, you know, if the stands for them, but as a Georgia fan, nothing, you know, nothing was more satisfying than seeing your team go from not competitive to all of a sudden, like elitely, like we're going to be in the playoff more times than not moving forward. And, you know, that was the year that Georgia had the number one recruiting class. They had Justin Fields coming in and we were stoked about him. Um, you know, of course he and a lot of the guys in that class ended up transferring, but it felt like we're going to get them next year. You know, this was just, this was, if yeah. if you're looking at like a trilogy, you know, this was like maybe one and two, like it might've ended like Empire Strikes Back, but like Return uh, of the Jedi is coming and I brought it back to Star Wars once again. Uh, but I love that, right? Because, it, yeah. you know, it goes to show that, you know, all this stuff, you know, we have these experiences and we put them into narrative form, right? Yeah. And, and you put this into a, a trilogy. Now I'm just looking at the, I don't mean to sort of cut you off. No, no, I know, no, you're good. I mean, look, you, you know you're a, you know you're that Doug Battle is a fan based on the way Doug Battle's face reacts when he talks about this stuff, right? So <laughs> it's clearly a joy. But I want to sort of make sure that we hit all the the points. And so then last, so that was the year you guys kind of kicked in the door. You became part of the club, but maybe you didn't right. have good seats in the club, right? You're sort of you know you didn't get it all the way done. Last year, national championship, okay. As a fan, what does that what does that mean to you? I mean, well, what was I mean, the, what was the emotional and like? I mean, I come. I think we can all imagine the buildup. What was the emotional? You know, the emotional impact afterwards. Yeah, it was it was surreal. I mean, we we couldn't believe it. And just to give a little more backstory, I think we lost seven straight to Alabama, including that national championship. And most of those games were games we should have won. By the way, 
2012 felt like we should have won. 2017, 2018, another game where Georgia led for the majority of the game. Uh, 2020, Georgia led for three quarters and uh, had some injuries. And, you know, Alabama had this amazing team and ended up winning. And so, and then 2021, last year, uh, SEC Championship, I go to the game thinking, okay, this is pr- probably it because if we beat Bama, they're out. They're the one team that can beat us. Uh, if we lose to Bama, Bama's better than us and we have to play them again, which is just a nightmare. And so, lo- I mean, getting absolutely hammered by Alabama in the SEC Championship in the same way that we did to Auburn 2017 in the regular season and getting the chance to play them a few weeks later uh, or, or a month or whatever later it was an opportunity, but also felt like, you know, if Georgia loses to Alabama twice in the same season after like all the times they've lost to them, it's just they're never getting over that hump. And I know fans who were just saying, like, it's not going to happen. We already saw what happens when Stetson Bennett plays, you know, a defense of this caliber or, or athletes of this caliber uh, a few weeks back. And, and so, and there were things that went Georgia's way in that game. And I, I do think that game very easily could have gone either way. And the narrative would be very, very different. If I think if Georgia loses that game, the narrative after last season, is Kirby Smart's good, but he's never getting over the hump. Uh, yeah. Georgia's that program. The curse, the curse just got more brutal at that point. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it really intensifies, and I think it affects recruiting. I think, I mean, I think it affects everything. I think it affects the mindset of the team this year. I really do. And so, winning that game, and, and I mean, I remember being up by eight at the end of the game, and Alabama having the ball and just like thinking about like oh man we were in this situation in 2018 and they scored and they got the two-point conversion and then they beat us in overtime or, or in regulation or whatever and and just thinking like just trying to picture all right they're gonna get some hail mary and then we're gonna stop them on the two-point conversion but we're gonna there's gonna be pass interference and then they're gonna punch it in from the one and then we're gonna have a pick six in overtime and that's the game you know you're just you're thinking of these nightmare scenarios and so okay. when bryce young throws it and like I had people around me when Keely Ringo intercepted Bryce Young in that famous play, you know, during Alabama's last drive, and he's running it back, and Kirby's telling him to get down, and everyone's sideline's telling him to get down. He's running for the end zone, and I, everyone around me is jumping and screaming. I was like, I was just like frozen, not in denial, but I remember even like probably ten seconds after the play, still looking for a flag because I was just like, I've seen something's. I mean, 2017, my senior year, I remember that same thing. Georgia blocks a punt. They're up by 21. They're about to have the ball, you know, in the red zone to score, to, to go up 28. And I mean, game's over. And sure enough, there's a flag. And it was a phantom flag. The player wasn't offsides. But it was just, I was so used to those bad things happening that I was looking for a flag the whole time. And I was like, there's, so there's got to be a flag. Is your emotion relief or joy? Um, both. Joyful <laughs> relief? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Relieving joy, joyful relief. I mean, no, I was um, there and there's some videos, but I was I was just out of my mind. Like, I just could not believe it. And I think we all were just like, you know, praise Jesus. Like we we all like people were crying. People were, you know, hugging strangers. And um, and it was much like that this week. You know, I after last year, I remember talking to my father about it. We always talk about these things, like kind of how it, how it works. And after 2017, he's like, it's never going to get better than this. Um, and last year it was like, we should probably hang it up as fans because it's never going to get better than this. But man, I'll tell you, anytime you're in a position where you feel like it's over and your team has lost and they, they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat and you're just like, uh, I mean, it is, it is a great feeling. And so seeing that so last like, year. 
Oh, I thought you were. I thought you had already moved forward to this. Well, last I was going to say seeing that last year and feeling like it's never going to get better. Um, and then okay. again, and I think now at this point, you know, you mentioned earlier Patriots, Alabama, the Golden State well, Warriors. Let me, let me ask you two quick questions about that national sure. championship. Sure. Favorite victory that wasn't in the national ti- national title game, and uh, like last you know, year or player? all time. Last year and okay. favorite player from last year's team. Oh man, there's so many, so <laughs> many players. Um, victory, definitely the Clemson game. I was at that game. I traveled to North Carolina. That was, I had, that was the beginning of the year. First Chick-fil-A. game, they went ten to three. They went ten to yeah. three. It was. It reminded me. It was so much, and I said it at the time. It was so much like that Notre Dame game, 2021 or 2017, where it's like if they win this this could be a really special season. If they lose this, they're done because they haven't even started SEC play yet and they're going to inevitably lose one of those games and they did. And so that game was so pivotal and it was so early in the year and it really set the tone and it was an all-time great game that I think a lot of people forget. I mean, I just, I just forgot about it for a second. At the time, we thought, you know, this would probably be the best game of the year and of course, the, as the year went on, um, the team, you know, became something even more special. Okay, Doug. Oh, so you, now asked, you asked favorite player. Favorite um, player. Yeah, I would say I was, you won't believe me. And this sounds like LeBron's thing where he lies and there's like a meme about it. But I, years back, told my dad, when Georgia had Jacob Eason, Justin Fields, and Jake Fromm all lined up at quarterback and Stetson Bennett um, and, and Stetson left and then he came back, I told my father, I said, I don't know why. I just get this feeling. It's, I thought it was going to be like a Nick Foles, like someone gets hurt and he comes in for the second half and just plays the game of his life. Um, and wins Georgia championship. I was like, I feel like he's going to be the guy to get Georgia over the hump. It's like it's like a true David and Goliath thing, where it's like the the last guy that should be out there to slay the Giants is going to be the one that does it, and it's going to be you know incredible. And so, but like I said, I was thinking like for one play he would come in, or for something crazy like that. Once once he kind of solidified himself as starter, we it was kind of a running joke in my family. It was like Doug, you still think he's going to do it because he's not looking so good. And I was like, I think. I mean, I could just see we just need to get like in a close game with the team and just, you know, come down to one play. And I feel like think like something special might happen. Um, And so his story, I mean, last year, he had to be my favorite. Half the fan base hated him last year. Um, A quarter of the fan base still does. I know people think he's super cocky and stuff. And I I understand those criticisms based on how he how he handles press and stuff like that. But um, watching him overcome the adversity that he did and, and. you know, seeing him overcome with emotion when the team won. And and he's like, he's an everyman in the sense that he was, we're, we're kind of the same age. And he we were in the stadium at the same time as kids in jerseys pulling for the team, you know? And and so it's like, he's it's like if, you know, me or one of my buddies were out there um, winning a national championship and breaking the curse is just kind of an everyman. And so, I, you know, he, he certainly, and he's going to age. You know, I'm I'm a Eli Manning fan for the Giants, and a lot of people hated him at the time. And in retrospect, Giants fans are like, "Oh, he's the greatest quarterback we ever had." You know, <laughs> build a statue of him. And I think that I think Stetson Bennett's going to be one of those guys where there's when they inevitably make the movie or the TV show, um, his his legend is going to only escalate. He kind of has to. I mean, history is, you know, history's going to be very kind to that guy. Yep. People are gonna forget. I mean, people are gonna forget how scary he makes it with some of his throws, some of his decisions, um, and, and it's just gonna be, you know, the throw to Eddie Mitchell and the clutch drive against Ohio State and the the good things, you know, which is great. And and I think, that, like I said, that's how it's been with Eli Manning, where people remember the two Super Bowls. They don't remember 
the interceptions that happened in between um, or, or before or after. And so, and, and I like that. I like those guys and I like rooting for them because they're kind of underdogs and it's fun to watch them reach the highest level of success when they probably shouldn't. I mean, it's kind of cliched given his his backstory that was that is repeated ad nauseum, right? I mean, it's it's almost tiresome the the repetition of his backstory. <laughs> but if he wins two national championships for a for a team and sort of goes out on that note. Yeah, then he is, you know, he is, you know, it's, what's the he's on the route? He's on the Georgia Mount Rushmore, right? He's, I mean, Herschel he Walker, be the Mount Rushmore. It's Herschel Walker, Vince Dooley. Stetson and someone else at this point, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of, I mean, Roquan and, and Todd Gurley. There's a lot of guys, Aaron Murray, um, that. Yeah, that, you know what I'm saying, right? If he two national championships, oh from yeah, the quarterback. Yeah. No, I know that's what I'm saying. It's, it, it, it's, I mean, again, it, the comparison is made so often. It's Rudy stuff, right? It's it's move. It's it's actually a successful version of Rudy. Last year, yeah, I was gonna say last year. I was I kept telling people that were hating on. It, I was like, you do understand our quarterback is Rudy, except <laughs> instead of making one play on special teams where he was offsides, he didn't make just one play. He led an entire team that has been cursed for 40 years to the promised land. I mean, that you couldn't... Rudy, you know, the Rudy film doesn't even come close to that as far as the magnitude and the scale of what he's accomplishing. And to do that, and, and then to have... You know, I, I'll be honest. I was kind of in the camp of... For his sake, I was like, I kind of hope he just just rides out like this mm-hmm. and, and you know makes millions of dollars forevermore as the guy that did it and and goes and writes the movie or whatever, uh, because there was no telling what was going to happen this year. For all we knew, he could get beat out by somebody. You know, he he could have a sophomore slump, if you will, as the starter, as like a seventh year senior. <laughs> <laughs> but but to you know to sh- when everyone was saying, hey, you should probably you should probably ride out, you know, like this and to say, no, I want to compete. I want to go do it again. And everyone's like, dude, you're not going to, the chances of that happening again are pretty slim. Like you'd probably be best, you know, for your long-term image to, to hang it up while you're on top. And I mean, I got to hand it to the kid. He's, he's in that position and we'll see what happens next week. You know, anything can happen in, in sports and in football, but He's positioned himself. I mean, he won an SEC championship, which no one really expected this year with with its, you know, kind of being projected as Alabama's year with Bryce Young and Will Anderson and company. And, um, you know, very well might go back to back. He's he's won MVP of every playoff game he's ever played in and might go down statistically, Mike. If you look at his playoff performances statistically, I'm not talking about the eye test. I'm talking about statistically. There's an argument that he's the best playoff quarterback in college football playoff history. Which is Love it. unbelievable for yeah. for what he's you know for what he has to work with and what you know what the perception of him has been and so um, it'll be interesting to see how that narrative ends you know this next week it's like it's possible he could play horrible and Georgia wins in spite of him he could play amazing and Georgia loses he could you know you could just have an average game but he goes down as the hero because he's just the quarterback okay and I'll, and I'll say this I don't think at your age that you fully appreciate. And you just can't, right? Because I mean, at your age, you've been living this stuff for a long time. But you know, yep. when you reach my age, fifteen years is a blink of an eye, right? It's yeah. like you know, this. I, I th- you know, Darren Williams and and uh, D Brown for Illinois. That seems like yesterday to me. And those guys are pushing forty now, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had originally hoped to 
end this podcast with like an open question to you that maybe you could fill in after the game because Doug is going to travel to the game. You sitting high up or you got good seats? Um, I'm going to be high up unless I finesse okay. my way down the stadium. I mean, I'm talking second row from the top, Mike. Doesn't matter. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, I thought we could get through almost all of this. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed having this conversation about this journey. So, uh, you know, rather than, you know, we'll end the podcast in, in just a few moments here. But, you know, there's like this next act. And when we pick it up again, I think we pick it up with the resolution of this next act where, you know, you know, how do you feel, you know, win, lose or draw against TCU? I guess there can't be a draw, but, you know, win or lose against TCU. What is that doing sort of the next stage on your, uh, your fandom journey? So we will continue this conversation, my friend. Um, for those of you listening, you know, always more content at www.fandomanalytics. Uh, until next time. Thanks for listening.